Political Podcast. At some point you look around, and you're the only one. I mean, it's pretty good. And just like that, the perspective shifts. Paging Bobby Winsler to the microphone. On in three, two. Welcome in, coming to you remotely today. However you're making us part of your day, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or even through the concurrent mobile app and website, I am sure glad you're joining us. Let's get crazy today. As I'm sure you know by now, since both concurrent columns last week were on the subject, Commissioner Holly Davis proposed that Commissioner Ron Kitchen not accept the chairmanship when he is nominated at the November 30th meeting. This break in protocol has inspired me to also break the rules today. In the spirit of skipping the normal order of things, I am going to react to the Sunday's Chronicle commentary first in that topic, which is usually reserved for the second. Then we'll talk about moral licensing and take it one step further down the philosophy ladder in the second topic about five to seven minutes from now. New print editions of the concurrent, as of today, can be found at all of our distributing partners. That's the Biscuit Barn and Granny's in Crystal River, as well as Papa Jay's and Dylan's Cinnamon Sticks in Inverness. There's also a box in front of the concurrent office in Lacanto, right off 44, in between them all. When a new edition comes out, I refer to the company that I send them to as my printer. I bet you do this with some of the services you pay for as well. My electrician, or my pool guy. We do this with people who provide value for us, that we don't mind paying for because of what we receive in return. It's easily defined when it's a tangible product, like a paper, or a service, or anything listed above. But what does the concurrent provide you? You probably don't refer to this as my paper, although you're more than welcome to. But it's not as clearly defined of a transaction as any of the others. It's not really your news source, because we don't deal in reporting or breaking news. But it is your thought guide. Your insight into the intellectual world of academia. And it's becoming increasingly evident that it is going to need to be your voice of critical commentary on the commission when necessary. I've been saying for months that a time would come when a strong commentary section is needed, and my criticism of the Chronicle was that I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to rise to that challenge. Executive Editor Jeff Bryan did write a great piece about a month ago, pushing for the need to strategically plan, but there has been nothing even remotely close to critical analysis since. And don't tell me that that's what the editorials are for. Movements need faces, they need leaders, and 350 unsigned daily words just aren't going to get the job done. Now, we have a showdown on the local level over the chairmanship, and our local paper that in April had sworn to keep the opinion section dedicated to local issues 
is silent on the matter. Instead, we get a feature column on redistricting, which is a state-level process that won't be resolved until March of next year, and Jerry Mulligan, who built an illustrious career on speaking truth to power, he returns to the pages at this pinnacle time in public affairs, only to talk about some out-of-town trip. And I'll be the first to admit it, I'm on the outside of the inside joke when it comes to his dog. I don't get it. I hate radio shows that take an outrage approach. But I'm angry, and I'm at a loss. The front page of The Concurrent this month is people standing on a plank that protrudes beyond a cliffside with a politician standing at the opposite end hanging over a large fall. The people are starting to walk away from the plank holding the politician up. And at this point, I'm not so sure it shouldn't be an editor behind a desk rather than a politician behind a podium to make the metaphor more accurate right now. If you truly want to know how bad the disconnect between the public and the paper is, don't look in the opinion section. Look above it. You know what you'll find? An advertisement. But not just any advertisement. It's what's called a house ad. House ads are media publications using space to promote themselves, which isn't unusual in any medium, but this house ad call has a call to action in it. It's urging readers to call in their credit card number or to send a check into the Chronicle's offices for the purposes of tipping their delivery drivers. The disconnect is not that the Chronicle is unaware their delivery service is bad, they are still running the homepage banner graphic for delivery customer service, and every now and then an apology will surface as well. The disconnect in the messaging is in the messaging as to how this problem will be fixed. This ad says, we know our delivery service is bad, but if you were a little bit more generous, maybe you wouldn't be having all of these problems. That's what the subscription fee is for! Figure it out! The rumor mill swirls around members from the Chronicle running for county commission, and now I see why. The business model is the same. You have a base price plus fees. And I don't want to lose sight of what I'm asking for in this topic, so let me repeat it one more time as I close it out. It comes down to consistency. That's what we're asking for. I can't remember the last time we had two consecutive weeks of commentary columns from the same people, and that's necessary if those writers are going to establish a voice and credibility with their readers. And if these writers ever get so inspired to try and make a difference in the way only true journalists can, then that familiarity and trust will be essential. Consistency in voice, consistency in delivery, consistency in recognizing the paper's own important role in the community. Right now, I see none of it. Getting to topic two, but first, advertise with the Citrus County Concurrent. We offer a variety of ways to reach your next customer, including website graphics, audio reads, even traditional print advertising. Get in early, lock in your rate, even as our audience grows. Special consideration for donation spots given to nonprofits as well. Contact advertising at theconcurrent.com for more information. 
That's advertising at theconcurrent.com to learn more. In Sunday's column, I talked about the theory of moral licensing, which is the idea that we are more prone to act in a way we might consider immoral if we had previously acted in a way we consider to be virtuous. If you helped an old lady across the street and then found 10 bucks on the ground, you might be more apt to pocket the $10 rather than look for its owner because, hey, you earned it. You helped that lady across the street. That's moral licensing. What I didn't do a good job of explaining in the column is that this is a bad thing. It might be so ingrained in human nature, myself included, that it is inevitable, but we don't want people to practice moral licensing. We'd rather them be principled. This theory was proposed just in 2010, but the concept is nothing new. 18th century philosophers Jeremy Bentham and later Immanuel Kant are two of the greatest minds in utilitarianism. Bentham proposed what became known as act utilitarianism, which takes situations on a case-by-case basis and says you should act in a way to maximize the public good. Later that century, Kant thinks that this is incomplete and that there are certain rules to govern situations that should be applied in all cases, not just individual cases as they arise. He created rule utilitarianism, loosely governed by categorical imperatives or universal directions for behavior. I know this is a little complicated, so let me explain it with something a little more tangible. The difference between rule and act utilitarianism is best explained by Batman. Gotham would be a much better city if Batman just killed the Joker. That would maximize public good for the most amount of people. The rule utilitarian in this case would not only condone, but even encourage Batman to murder his foe. The rule utilitarian presumably Bruce Wayne by his actions, has a set of principles that he will not break regardless of the situation. One of these is he won't kill. He will do everything he can to maximize the public good, but limit his own powers, even if he's capable of more, because it's outside his principles. People who moral license are act utilitarians. You can see from this example where that starts to get troubling. We shouldn't trust people who practice philosophies that condone or even encourage murder. Let's apply this to local organizations in Citrus County politics. My biggest gripes last election cycle was with the Chronicle and the Chamber. Not because I think these organizations are bad for the county, quite the opposite. They do amazing work but rather because they were acting like Moral Licensing Act utilitarians, and I believe in the guiding principles of rule utilitarianism. The guiding principle of an organization like the Chamber should be that the leadership reflects the will of its members, since it's a member-driven organization. 
The principles that dictate the actions of the Chronicle have been laid out for over a hundred years by the Society of Professional Journalists in code of ethics and best standards and practices. So when leaders of the organizations store campaign material for a candidate not supported by the majority of their members, or take off work early to participate in campaign events on behalf of candidates not supported by the majority of their members, or write or bury favorable stories to the sheriff's office that would otherwise be on the front page when, uh, when election season is going on, or when reporters approach stories that they hear about secondhand, but they trust those sources enough to already have the narrative made up in their minds by the time they talk to all the other sources. These are all examples of people who are working on behalf of their own agenda at the expense of the principles that should be guiding their actions. It's not noble, it's incredibly selfish. And how do you justify this selfishness? How do you put yourself in a position that you were willing to go against what your organization stands for in order to advance your personal agenda? You moral license. You recall all the great things you've done in the past, and you use that as justification for whatever it is you're doing in the present. But Bobby, you just don't understand citrus. That's not how we do things here. Okay. I don't claim to have a moral monopoly. You don't have to see the world the same way I do. But we have to at least make an effort to understand what happens in this community when elections roll around, because another one is knocking on the doorstep soon. This stuff isn't new. We've dealt with it for centuries. But we can keep moving forward. We can strive to be better. And I know we'll get there, because there are people like you who care as deeply about this community as you do about your own set of principles. And you will use your principles to make the community an even better place. That's all from the Bobby Winsler Show. Follow The Concurrent on social media for the latest updates. And we'll be back next Tuesday at noon. If you want to join this conversation, find us on social at The Concurrent Facebook, Twitter, or go to The Concurrent website and post on our discussion boards. Today's episode, sponsored by us.